Good morning, and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message is our final installment in our series studying the purpose of the church. We will see that becoming the righteousness of God from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is a present reality for the church only with the help and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. Many years ago, I uh, saw the opportunity for my son to... Um, get better at throwing and catching. Now, he was pretty small, but I uh, bought him one of these tiny things. It's a, it's a baseball glove. And while we were in the, uh, the middle of moving from the Caribbean back home here, uh, we were packing up all our things and we're going through uh, the dressers and the cabinets and the boxes. And guess what I found? A brand new, never used baseball glove. And I felt like, you know, I, I gave this to him as a gift, not to sit in a cupboard, not to sit on the floor, not to sit on a box, but what? To be used. Now, i got to say, I probably take some of the blame for that as dad didn't get out in the yard to play catch often enough. But it did make me think, you know what? Those things that we receive, we receive in order to use. And the same is true for the church. God has given us gifts. God has given us positions and tasks, responsibilities, those things for which the church grows together on. I don't think he wants us to leave them in a box. I don't think he wants to have us leave them in the floor or in the cupboard or the dresser. God wants them to be used. We've been in a series studying the purpose of the church. Uh, today we're coming to a, a, an end on that as we have seen through our entire trajectory that God has made us the messengers of the gospel. As we saw last week, he's made us ministers such that it isn't professional clergy who are the ones so loved to God, but all of us are to no longer live for ourselves, but live for him. We saw the call to be missionaries here locally to rightly, relationally reveal God to all that we come across. And that God would change our vision such that we would see to the ends of the earth as the scope of God's vision for redemption. We saw on our second Sunday as well that we are called as new creations in Christ. We are called to one body, members of the church. Today we're going to see finally that we are also, as a church, given a manifestation of the Spirit. This word is going to show up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But before we turn there, I want to invite you to turn to the passage where we've been through these six weeks to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's one last time read through verses 14 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as we read through it, I, I, want, the, I want the language of the verse, verses to, to recall to your memory those things that we have studied. So that as you run across the word ambassador, remember that word that shows up in here? As you run across the word reconciliation, remember the picture of the bridge? Uh, allow all these lessons to come back to our memory. Uh, verse 14 of chapter 5, Paul writes, For Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we look at this passage today, uh, we're going to land on the last verse that we covered. Verse 21 is where we're going to focus in on. And as we look at it, we're going to find that we're going to look further to another letter that Paul wrote. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I... I just wondered if I could ask you a question, if it's okay with you guys. For the sake of this this morning, I just need to do a Bible study. Is that okay? Everybody say amen if you're okay with it. All opposed? All right, so we're all good with it. We're, we're just going to have a Bible study today, all right? That's all it is. I'm going to just put the sermon on hold. Let's just open our buddy Bibles and, and study through it. So, uh, Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. The, the beauty of this passage is Paul finishes this calling to the church with all of the purpose and all the requirements, all the privilege that we get to be a part of. This verse is the one that matters more than anything. Each of us carries through our bodies into this world sin on a daily basis. But God has given us something to help us combat this. In his loving kindness, he sent his son to die in our place. Jesus had no sin. There was, there was no sin in his life. There was no sin in his mind, in his heart. We read from the scriptures that he was tempted as we were, so he understands what we face. Yet being fully God, the Son of God, come down from heaven, incarnate in flesh, he has no sin. And yet, the penalty of sin was given to Jesus. What's the penalty of sin? What's the wages of sin, if you know it, say it? Death. That's what you get for sin. Well, you know, the, the program from the universe, you know, the, the deal of the game was if you have no sin, you live. Adam and Eve would have been fine. If they had no sin, they would have lived. The curse was clear. God's promise was true. In the day that you eat of it, you will die. Spiritually, they died that day. And physically, they died later on. And ever since then, every one of us that comes into this world is born spiritually dead. Jesus will speak to Nicodemus and he'll say, you need to be born Again, you need to be born of the Spirit. This is the key. The Spirit of God is the key that allows this verse to be true. Look with me at the end of it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, how are you going to do that? Can you do that? When I think about this, I kind of struggle with it. Because if you were to give a good, careful evaluation over my life, you know, get the microscope out and really write the stuff down, I'm pretty sure I'm going to fail at this. The righteousness of God is not something that Ryan Flunker is able to produce. I'm, I want to follow the law, but as Paul will write in Romans, I am weakened. I'm weakened by the flesh. And I cannot follow through with God's level of righteous requirement. There's got to be a helper. You need help? Say amen if you need help. 
I, I need help. There's got to be a way that this can be true. I believe it can be true, but there's got to be a way for it to be true. Uh, there's a, the New American Commentary gives uh, a very helpful passage on this. Uh, the, the commentator says this, We do not simply have righteousness from God. It's important to make that distinction. It's not that you just have righteousness from God, but we are the righteousness of God. Do you see the difference? Not just something that you've been given. It's a transformation that happens within us. We are the righteousness of God. As a result of being in Christ, we are given His righteousness only as we are in Him. And we will be raised like Him only if we live in Him. We saw what it means to be a new creation is to belong to the body of Christ. And the church as a whole has, has got the Trinity here. You, you know that everything we do, like it or not, whether you know it or not, is revealing something to this world. You remember that? For good or for bad, the world is forming their opinion as to who they think God is based upon how you live, the things you say, the choices you make. You are revealing something. Well, guess what the church is to reveal? We are to reveal the Father in the same way that Jesus revealed the Father. People should be able to look at your life and say, yeah, there's something different about you. The things that trouble me don't trouble you. What is it that's happened? How is it that you are so different from the rest of the world? And they see a picture of who God is. They see that individually in our lives, but they see it corporately as a whole as well. We reveal the Father. Well, we do so together because we belong to a body. Whose body do we belong to? Christ. So look at this. We reveal the Father. We belong to the body of Christ. We are His hands. We are His feet. He is, he is our what? What's the, what's the metaphor the Bible gives as to what Jesus is to the church? He is our, he is our, he is our head. Jesus is the head of the church in the same way that my hand doesn't do what it wants to do unless the, the head tells it. If, if I set my hand down on the stove, uh, it's not the hand's fault. Guess whose fault is it? It's the head's fault, right? Well, as the members of my body follow a single head, we, as the body of Christ, we follow Jesus Christ in order to reveal the Father. Are you, are you seeing this dynamic? The Father is the one that we reveal in our lives. We do so by belonging now to the body of Christ on earth. And the only way this is accomplished is through the indwelling, through the power of the Spirit. We reveal the Father. We live according to the body of the Son, Jesus Christ. And we do so through the power of the Spirit. We're, we're coming full circle on this. After six weeks of studying the purpose of the church, I want you to see how the Godhead has interwoven into your life. That God has given us the privilege to do these things. But not just on your own. Remember, the righteousness of God is not something that... Who's God? I, I cannot do this on my own. I need help. And therefore, He sends us the Spirit. It's not that we simply have the righteousness of God. We're becoming the righteousness of God. There's a few passages in this Bible study we're having this morning that I want to direct you to. Um, Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14... Uh, talk about this dynamic of the Spirit's role. Uh, Paul writes, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. I, I hope you're kind of hearing some echoes of 2 Corinthians here. Included in Christ? What's that look like? New creation, right? 
When you heard the message of truth, what's that look like from 2 Corinthians? The message of reconciliation. You remember that? So we're, Paul's saying the same thing here to the Ephesians. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. You, When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of His glory. You see what the Holy Spirit does? It's changing you. The Holy Spirit is given to you as a deposit of that which you, will, you and I will experience in full on the day of Christ's return in glory and in heaven as He redeems our bodies. But you know what? Until then, guess what He is? He is a, what's the word say? Deposit. What's a deposit? You know, I really want to buy that thing at Walmart. You know, whatever it is. And, and what do they say? I can put down a, I put down a, po- a deposit, right? It, it's as good as being mine fully even though I don't have it completely. It means that we are yet in process. We are becoming the righteousness of God. Now, you can't do it. I can't do it. But the Holy Spirit is our helper. Here's another passage. 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a... You see it repeated again? As a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. I love that word, guarantee. That's what they say at uh, car, car dealerships, right? Your satisfaction is our guarantee. That's right. I get, well, what's that mean? If I'm not satisfied, guess what I get to do? Go back and they make it right, right? It, that's what guarantee means. It means this is going to happen. I don't know if, we, if you feel like it is right now. I don't know if it seems like it might be. Guess what the word says? Don't hold on to your circumstances. Don't hold on to the here and now. Don't look at that which is physical, that which is seen. Look to that which is unseen, because this is true. The spirit that we have is a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. We are becoming, that we might become, the righteousness of God. One last one here in our Bible study, 2 Corinthians 5, 5. Um, comes at the beginning here of the, of the place where we're at, the book that we're in. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit of what is to come. I've got to ask the question, how? How does this happen? I believe the Word of God is true. Because He had no sin, yet became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God, not just have the righteousness of God, but to become the righteousness of God, how does that happen? I can't do it. My strength can't do it. My effort can't do it. I have to have help. I have to have the Spirit of God. Because of that, I want us to look into that. The church, as you saw, the title for this message is The Manifestation of the Spirit. Manifestation is a word that means you can see evidence of it. Tangible, recognizable, that in your life, church, we should see the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will say you will know them by their fruit. Now, if I look at a tree and I see apples on it, I know that that tree is what? I, I've, never, I've never seen anybody go to a pine tree and tape apples on it. Right? No, nobody's trying to trick you as to what kind of tree it is, but you can recognize a tree by looking at its 
fruit. Now, for people that are really good at this, and my dad was awesome at this, he could just look at the bark and he'd tell you exactly what tree. He could look at a leaf, he'd tell you what tree it was, right? But the rest of us need to look at the fruit of the tree. Well, in our lives, that's true as well. That we might become the righteousness of God here on earth right now is seen because we have a manifestation of the Spirit. To look at this more in depth, I invite you to turn back a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, I'd like us to read um, 1 through 11, as Jesus is going to introduce this topic. Uh, if you have a study Bible, what's the heading say? Do you have a heading at the top? What do you got there? Spiritual gifts. Raise your hand if it says spiritual gifts. Everybody, can? Okay, so we're all kind of in the same ballpark. The subject of what we're looking at here are spiritual gifts, those things that God has given. Verse 1, Paul writes, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant... You know that when you were pagans somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you, no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. I just want to draw your attention here. Verses 4 through 6. Did anyone catch the Trinity mentioned here? That might be worth underlining, but verse 4 says the same Spirit. Verse 5 says the same Lord. And verse 6 says the same God. Father, Son, and Spirit mentioned right here. As we have seen, the task of the church is to reveal the Father in the body of of Jesus Christ, which is the church on earth, through the power of the Spirit. And he gives gifts to help us with this. Verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge, by means of the same Spirit to another faith, by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing, by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determined. I want us to land in a verse here just for a little bit. Look with me in verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the, of the Spirit is given for the common good. Even before... Even before we begin to look at this, did you see how many times he mentioned the one spirit? It ought to show you, church, that tantamount to Paul's emphasis here is the understanding that within the church there ought to be unity. Do you like that song? Do you remember that one? Bind us together. Lord, bind. Remember? I like to hold hands when we sing that song. Because how are we bound together? By one spirit. One spirit does all these things. And Paul's going to say here at the beginning, he's going to show us the, what I call the placement Notice he says, to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. So guess what that means for you? You got something. You have received a gift from the Holy Spirit. If you are part of the church, if you're part of the new creation, he's not going to leave you to form righteousness by your own power. He's going to give you a helper. And the helper is going to enable you with power. 
through a gifting, a task, a, a process, a position, something that you have to contribute for the greater of the whole. So the placement here is to everyone. Do you remember when you were kids in grade school and it was uh, Halloween? And what did all the kids pass out? Everybody got a piece of candy. Yeah, everybody got a piece of candy. So if you got skipped, you made some noise. Give me an amen on this, right, church? If you got skipped with candy, you made some noise. The Holy Spirit made sure that everybody got included. Nobody got skipped. Nobody's left out. If you hear my voice this morning, you have a gift from the Holy Spirit. After the placement, I want you to look at what I'm calling the purpose. That same verse in verse 7. What, what, what for? Why did everybody get a manifestation of the Spirit? Well, it's because I like candy. It's for me. Is it for you? Look at verse 7. What's it say? It's for the common good. We've got to hold to that. There is a distortion. In some cases, even a perversion at times. When people want to claim that the gift that they have is for them. It is not. The gift of the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit because it is a deposit. It is a seal guaranteeing what is to come. And so we have peace with that. We know that we have fellowship with God through the indwelling of the Spirit. But the gifting of the Spirit isn't for you. It's for the church. It's for the common good. That would be like you taking your bag of candy home with you instead of passing it out to everybody, instead of sharing it. Now, I'll be honest with you. We bought one of those little packs of Butterfingers and I'll be honest, I, this is church. You can confess in church, right? We're all a lot of butterfingers. I did not plan to put that illustration in my sermon this morning. You get the point? If you have a gift that's been given to you and you think it's just for you, you'll find you end up with my house, what it has with butterfingers, just an empty bag. I got, I got nothing. It's, it's not used for yourself. God has given each of you a gift, and he has done so for the, what's it say? For the common good. All right, so let's look at these. Um, the presentation of the gifts are mentioned here in verse 7 as well. The word manifestation of the Spirit. This evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, it's mentioned in a few places. Romans chapter 12 has a list. A few of the gifts mentioned there are prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, Giving, leadership, and mercy. You, you might uh, write that down. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. It's a very helpful list for gifts from the Holy Spirit. Uh, the passage that we just looked at here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has another list. If you were to go back, you could underline them. You could identify them. They are wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirit, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. If you're still in 1 Corinthians, look towards the end of chapter 12 and you'll see another list Paul gives. Apostles are gifts. Prophets are gifts. Teachers, miracles, healings, helps, administration, tongue speaking, and interpretation of tongues. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not only things that we do. They're also positions that we hold. In Ephesians chapter 4 and in 1 Peter... Paul mentions a few other lists that are gifts given by the Holy Spirit. Apostles, that's a role that they held. That was an office. Prophecy is also, and prophets were a gift. Evangelists were a gift. And pastor teachers are a gift to the church. 
First Peter will list speaking and ministering. There is a presentation of the gifts that we can identify from Scripture. And of all of these, I'm, I'm convinced that the Spirit has more than we might even be able to read in here. These are the main ones, the ones that we need to familiarize ourselves with. But somewhere on those lists is where you land. Somewhere in these passages that we've listed of the things that the Holy Spirit has done, whether by position, a role that you are in, or by presentation, something that you do, the Holy Spirit has enabled you. Sometimes we might want to fuss at that, though. Well, I'd rather do this than have to do this. And one of the very worst things with uh, spiritual gift inventories, has anyone ever taken a test to find out what your spiritual gift is? Anybody? Uh, I, I think I, I just see a couple of hands, hands go up. Uh, one of the problems with that is when we're taking, there, there are these tests, and you can take them online and find out. They'll ask you a bunch of questions. Do you like people? Yes or no? And you'll, you'll check the boxes to identify, well, then this is your spiritual gift. One of the problems is when we take those tests, we tend to just sign up for the things we kind of would like to do. That's not how it works. If you're still in 1 Corinthians, you could just look across where we've seen. Verse 21 says, The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The ear to the eye or the hand to the foot. There should be no division in the body. Verse 25. Because sometimes in the body we may not like what we have. We may want something else. So can I, can I exchange it? Can I take it back to the store? Can I get something else? Well... The last thing I want to show you is what I'm calling the prescription that comes in verse 11. All of these things, all of the gifts that we've looked at, are the work of one and the same Spirit. So there's unity. But who's the one that determined what you got? And the Spirit, He gives them to each one just as He determined. Now, you might want to argue with me or the session, right? You might want to fuss with some folks here at church, but I don't know how far you're going to get if you want to argue with God. And sometimes the reality of this is that it is hard. Sometimes we have to play roles that we don't feel like we'd rather do, but God put you here for the common good. And he has empowered you to become the righteousness of God on earth for the common good. I have a conclusion on this. My conclusion for looking over these passages, as we relate it to our study for the purpose of the church, is that God has given you a costly gift to contribute to his church as a guarantee of your righteous standing before him. He's given you a precious gift. We've got to recognize that from the beginning of the verse. In 2 Corinthians 5, do you remember what he said? Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us. This mitt cost me, I don't know, $14.99 maybe? At Dunham's, I don't, I don't recall where we got it. Maybe Walmart, you probably find it on sale for $8.99 somewhere. I'm out of little pocket change. You know, just going to the checking account. You have received a gift. You know what the price tag on that gift is? You see, there's a difference. I think if you and I understood sometimes what was cost 
What was sacrificed for the gift that we have? It's sometimes not just the gift itself. And I think that's our problem is we might focus on the gift, not realizing that the value behind the gift is the eternal, precious, pure blood of Jesus Christ. Church, you have been given a costly gift. You've been given it to contribute to his church. This ain't my church, this ain't your church. This is his church. And your gift that you've been given is for the common good. And it's been given to you as a guarantee of your righteous standing. So I've got three things for you to take from this. Three ways that we can learn to adapt this message into our lives. Number one is this word, identification. Starts there, identification. What's your spiritual gift? It's a tough question. I got, I got the... There's a lot to choose from. Where do you fall up here on this list? I want to give you what I think is the best way to determine your spiritual gift. It is not by taking a test. It is not by going online. The very best way is to ask someone who knows you best to help you identify what is my spiritual gift. Who knows you best in this world? Find out whoever that is. It's probably your spouse, maybe a parent, maybe a child, but probably your spouse, right? And say, honey, what is my spiritual gift? What do you think my spiritual gift is? Procrastination. That's got to be it. <laughs> you have the spiritual gift of holding the remote control. That's what you have. All right, so be kind. You use the list I gave you, but you see, it's those who know us best, especially within the the setting of the church that we can identify its hospitality or its, its giving or its mercy. In my own life, I know it's mercy. When, when I was young, I think close to Micah's age was about the time I was realizing that kids are mean. Aren't kids mean? Yeah, kids can be just brutal. And I remember when I was young, when I was his age, I just decided I hate people. I did not put that on my resume when I applied to be pastor here. I do remember saying that, though. Just, I, I hate people. I don't want anything to do with people. Put me behind a desk. Let me serve on some equipment. Put me out in the woods. But if i got to do anything with people... So, do you hear me saying this right now? This is not natural for me. The calling to love people is not something Ryan Plunker found within his heart. The opposite was there. It was the Spirit of God. It was a manifestation of the Spirit given to the church. And in my own life, it was mercy. My God, when he came and captured my life, and when I could see my own sin, the depth to which I have fallen, yet recognized he calls me his own, how could I hold anything against anyone else? And to see other people struggling and hurting broke my heart because of what God had done for me. That's a gift of mercy. Now, I'm still growing in that myself. But you have a spiritual gift as well. Step number one is identification. You won't necessarily identify it always correctly on your own part. In fact, when they take those spiritual gift inventories, do you know what's bottom? The very least, the last thing that anybody has is giving, apparently. Somehow, well, I'm, I'm leadership, administration, that's my gift, right? Teaching, apostle. We, we tend to want these big ones, but service? Giving? No, you know what? who's going to be able to identify that? Your spouse is going to be able to identify that. The people who know you best. 
are going to be able to identify. So number one, identify your spiritual gift. Number two, operation. You've been given something, right? To do what? To use. You have been given a gift, not to set it on the shelf, not to look at it, polish it, and make it pretty. It's not given for your sake either. So operation means God has given you a gift to use. God has given you a gift to share with his church. And then thirdly, God has not given you all the gifts. Do you ever think about that? I think one of the main reasons why Paul was speaking here in 1 Corinthians that the, uh, the eye can't say to the ear and the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Well, what good is the hand going to do if the feet take a day off? The hands suddenly don't have much they can get their hands on. That shows me that if you're so overwhelmed with the wonder of your gift, look how great I am. God has blessed me. But you're not recognizing that you don't have all the gifts. You know what you'll do? You'll start to pull away. You'll, you'll cease to have that unity of the church. Now where do we see this most obviously made manifest? It's when we see the gifts used. I, I was up here for our church cleaning day. Remember that day? Some, some of us were here. Why am I thankful that God has spread out the gifts to more than just one person? We need everybody. Right? Amen, church? We need everybody to step up. you got a role to play because all God's kids have a place in the choir. Some sing low. Some sing higher. Some sing out loud on the telephone wire. And some just clap their hands. But it's true. God has a place for all of you. Number one, identification. What is my gift? What has God enabled me to do that is only a spiritual gift? It's not natural. It's not something that comes by virtue of my nature, but it comes from Him. And secondly, operation. I need to use my gift. And then thirdly and lastly is appreciation. Your gift's price tag is the blood of Christ. If you knew what it costs, I think we would want to use it more. I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. What did the chorus of that song say? So here I am to, here I am to worship. Another way of saying that is appreciation. God has called you out of the world to be knit into his body as a new creation. You're part of the church. He's made you messengers of reconciliation. Go tell your neighbor, hey, be reconciled to God. He's made you a missionary so that you've got to leave the comfort of your home, that you've got to go out and rightly, that means you get it according to the word, relationally, that means you're involved in people's lives, revealing the Father. He's working on us right now to change us from our cultural boundaries that we would look beyond our levels of comfort out to the ends of the earth to where God would want his gospel to reach. He's called you to be sold out to him. Why? Because he died for you. Therefore, you should live for who? You should live for him now. As a minister, God, wherever, whenever, whatever, call me and I will go. And he has enabled you through his spirit through the power of the Spirit of God, that you might become the righteousness of God on earth. We recognize the importance when we remember all of this cost God his own son. You're going to give up your only child? Can you imagine that? 
for your enemies of all people. We were enemies with God. And he gave his son for us. So three things. This is what I want you to hold to. And this is what I hope to leave you as we end this study on the purpose of the church. Identify your spiritual gift. That's discovery. Um, find somebody who knows you well. See if you can nail this down. Find out what it is. And then use it. Find a way to use it. Look, if you identify that you have a gift and it's made new to you, maybe because of this message or that somebody else tells you, and you want to use it for the church, my number is in the bulletin. Call me and we'll find a way for you to use your gift because that's what God designed the gift for, for the common good. And I promise you this. When you do that, you are worshiping him. That is appreciation. To use that which God gave you for the building of his kingdom, for the unity of the body, is worship. It's worship with your life. It's worship with your hands, with your lips, with your whole body. It's an appreciation for what he has done. Let's pray this morning and ask for God's help to do this.